0: Welcome to this week's edition of Novak Now. I'm Jake Novak here on the Nachum Siegel Network. And I have already begun putting some items on my Twitter feed, at JakeJakeNY, that is my Twitter handle, uh, that I'll be referencing during this uh, next half hour, so you can get more of the reading materials and the things that I am referring to. Uh, and the first one being a, a a very important book that I'm going to refer to in just a moment. So again, the the Twitter handle isn't just a way to follow the news and analysis that I'm hoping to provide to, to everyone during the course of the week, but it's also a great way to get a little bit of extra information about the things that I only have a certain amount of time to refer to here on, on the radio program. Uh, I'm going to be honest with you. I'll be honest with you that... This is one of the more difficult editions of Novak Now that I'm ever going to have to do. It might be the most difficult one, because I know that it walks over a lot of emotional landmines for a lot of people, myself included. Um, But I think it's really important to get this out, and I'm actually surprised at myself that I haven't had a chance or felt like it was the right time yet to focus on this particular issue, because there have been periods during the last year or so when this issue was more in the news. But it's still in the news. It's still an open topic in both Israel and in Europe. And I really want to get to it because I think this is one of those things where nuance is really, really important. And the reason why it's so difficult is I think that there are a lot of good people who, if they don't, give this their full attention and full understanding about where I'm coming from on this issue, they may misunderstand. And usually I try to steer clear of all that, but this is too important. This is too important, and I really feel like it needs to be mentioned. I want to talk about what's happened between Israel and the government of Poland over the last year or so. It's really more like two years now. In reference to the new government, still relatively new government, of Poland's attitudes towards the Holocaust, and I think a lot of you know a lot of this story already, and I will try to rehash it as quickly as I can, just for those who may not have, but you had a new government elected in Poland about two years ago that decided to pursue, not only after it was elected, but in its election campaign, made an issue and I would say curiously so, we'll talk about that in a moment, made an issue out of trying to exonerate the nation of Poland from a good deal of its responsibilities and culpability in the Holocaust. And they did it in an interesting way. They did not do it through Holocaust denial. It wasn't like this new government, or this, at the time just a political party not yet running the government, It wasn't like they came out with a bunch of ads or a bunch of statements saying there was no Auschwitz, there was no Birkenau, there was no mass murder of Jews. There was nothing like that. In fact, they emphatically made the point that these murders did happen. They did not go through the process of Holocaust denial, which should tell us something about where they were going with this, that it wasn't the same old run-of-the-mill antagonism towards Holocaust victims. But their entire goal here was to make this point that they wanted to make that the Polish people during the war, World War II, were victims. They were victims like the Jews were victims, they were victims like the gypsies and homosexuals and everyone else that the Nazis rounded up. They were victims in, to, to Nazi persecution, and they were certainly not willing collaborators and participants in the mass murder of mostly the Jews in the death camps. This was the point they were trying to make, and they produced some very nice and, I mean, really crisp-looking, professional-looking ads uh, with animation and also with video to, to make this point. Now, I'm going to fast forward here because, I, I, like I said, this is going to be a difficult enough edition of Novak Now as it is. Uh, with the the points I do want to make, and I think people are going some people unfortunately will likely misunderstand them, so i 'm going to make sure that i we we cut down on the number of the mis- potential misunderstandings and hurt feelings as soon as I possibly can. so let me make this very very clear that assumption that that, that statement that this Polish party and now Polish ruling government is trying to make about how the polls were not. Willing participants in some cases in the death camps, and how the Poles were equal victims with everyone else in the Holocaust is ludicrous. Okay, if anyone thought I was going to come down in favor of that statement, you know, let's disabuse you. Let me disabuse you of that right now. This is a ludicrous uh, statement by the Polish people. Were there Poles who were victims in the uh, of the Holocaust or at least of the Nazis? Yes, I mean the Poles did fight the Germans for two weeks and did die at the front, the Polish front. Uh, for, I don't know how long the war lasted. I think it was about two weeks before the Nazis overran them. It's certainly, they certainly weren't considered equals by the Nazis or the Germans. I mean, I'm not saying any of that. There was clearly Polish non-Jews who were victims of the Nazis and and of the Wehrmacht and the whole thing. But were they victims on the same level uh, as the Jews? Of course not. And were there some Poles who absolutely celebrated and collaborated in the killing of the Jews by the Nazis in the death camps? The answer is yes. And for a government of Poland to to assert this is insane. It's just, it's a silly thing for them to pursue, uh, but it's not so silly because it's not funny. And I want to make it very clear about who I am in this in, in, in kind of the 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 dog I don't have in this fight, I am not a big fan of going around and berating every European country, especially seventy plus years after the fact for all the horrible things that they did during the Holocaust. At the same time, I'm not here to exonerate you. Listen, the, the level of importance beyond the history lesson and remembering that these that that the ancestors of today's Europeans were not our friends, and with very few exceptions. European countries were complicit in the Holocaust, and ordinary citizens in many cases were complicit in the Holocaust. I'm not interested in whitewashing that for a second. At the same time, it's not the forefront of my discussion topics every single day. When today's Europeans try to call Israelis and Jews and Israel Nazis, I like to bring up the fact that how I believe it's very important for a lot of Europeans to believe that because they want to exonerate their ancestors for their true complicity with Nazism. But that's not my everyday, you know, that's not my book. That's not the book I talk every day. But again, it's a bridge too far to ask somebody, even like me, to say, you know, can you say that we were victims too? And that we were, I'm not doing that. (laughs) And no, as nobody, and and nobody should. Nobody should. This is an, it's a silly, silly thing. Uh, Again, not funny, silly, but it is an outrageous, offensive stupid uh, ass- assertion to make, but clearly popular enough among some Europeans who are sick of that broad brush that they sometimes get painted with as being Nazi sympathizers that it was it, it apparently was a, a helpful issue in the Polish elections. Now, the interesting thing about this Polish party that won is that if you think they go along all the way down the line here and are... Hostile towards Israel, they're not really. So luckily, they haven't really swallowed this whole hostile to the Jews, silly silliness, outrageous offensive line all the way through. But the night is young, the the history is young for this group, and of course. I, I believe that there's something else going on here. Now, a little bit of a more modern history lesson, for those of you who don't know, and I am someone who wouldn't have known this if it weren't for the fact that I was briefed on it by a number of people just a few years ago. The previous Polish government not only was favorable to Israel, as, as this particular government seems to be, for all the strangeness that, that incurs, that entails, the previous Polish government was also friendly towards Israel, but also was very friendly towards the Jewish community. So not only did it not push this revisionist history nonsense about the Holocaust, it was very much trying to literally get a Jewish community going again in Europe, in Poland. Uh, A friend of mine who is a communal rabbi in the area, doesn't have a a synagogue that he runs, but he runs a a, a Jewish communal organization, uh, was a visitor in Poland a number of years ago, not that many years ago, I think it was probably four or five years ago the most, and he was shown how they were building Jewish community centers there, how they're building Jewish slaughterhouses so they can have kosher meat, which is a big deal in Europe because a lot of the Western European countries have decided to demonize both kosher and Islamic meat slaughter and to, uh, to, um, abolish it. So, this comes after this movement that had been going on in Poland for a while. And, I don't think that this new government and this new party was trying to necessarily reverse that. I think that this new government and new party is trying to do something else, again, something that I'll get into. So, you have the situation now, and, and why does the Polish government, another short history lesson that has to be addressed here... Why is it important that the Polish government has or doesn't have a good relationship with Israel? Because it's more than just the usual thing that we've all grown up with where it would be nice if there would be some countries in the UN that wouldn't vote to condemn Israel. It's beyond that. There actually is a more than just symbolic potential relationship here between Poland and a lot of other Eastern European countries and Israel. And those are two things that are really, really on the table here that are very, very important for Israel and for them. The first is missile defense. Countries like Poland, Czechoslovakia, uh, Hungary, any of these countries that are within the Russian uh, border area need better missile defense. Because if they have better missile defense, they will feel a little bit more free of Vladimir Putin and Russia's dominance over them. They want to have that missile defense because they don't want to end up like Ukraine, which has been basically taken over by Russia and the the that the freestanding country of Ukraine really doesn't exist right now. There's certainly resistance within Ukraine, and, and 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 that might change. But Russia controls it, and these other countries are worried about that happening to them too. And Israel has a good missile defense program to sell them. That the United States could too, but in some ways the Israeli pro- in many ways the Israeli missile defense programs are much more viable because Israel, like them, is a small country. Israel's is much smaller than they are, but it's certainly on a more Even scale with Israel and those countries as it is with the United States. Many of you may remember that for all the Democratic Party and the liberals attacking of Russia now and all their conspiracy theories about Russia, and I'm going to talk about something later in the program that'll sound like a conspiracy theory, but it isn't because there's actual proof and there's history here. But for all of their bashing of Russia now, it was the Obama administration that has denied a lot of these countries like Poland and Ukraine and all these other countries that have been asking for American missile defense. It was the Obama administration that denied them. The Obama administration was incredibly helpful to Vladimir Putin and his aggressive actions. And it was yet, it's, it's been yet another case of Democrats accusing Republicans, and in this case President Trump and his administration, of the things of, of which they are guilty the, the Obama administration and the Hillary Clinton State Department and the John Kerry State Department were really, really helpful in a detrimental way for the rest of the world and for us to Russia. So it's been very, very convenient for them to try to smear Trump as some kind of Russian stooge. It's ridiculous because they didn't say something nice. You've heard me say on Novak Now here on the Nachum Siegel Network many times that one of the most dangerous propensities of, that the liberals and Democrats have in this country is for them it really does seem like words mean more than actions, so for Trump to say something nice about Putin to them is clearly worse than actually doing something too nice for Putin, which was – there are many examples of that, not, not the least of which the Obama administration denying the missile defense that they were hoping for to stand up to Putin. But it's all words and it's all actions, and I think a lot of it has to do with so many Democrats and liberals being lawyers, and words to them are so much more important all, very often, and journalists – People in my profession are all about words. It's uh, too much of the time and, and very little about action, and it's just another example of that. But anyway, that was one area where the it continues to be an area where these Eastern European countries, Poland especially, really wants help from Israel. Wants to create a partnership with Israel on missile defense, and Israel wants to give it to them for two reasons. One is to to improve the the economy. It's you know Israel's going to sell this at a profit and do well for themselves in that in that department, but also they too also want to stand up to russia. I mean Israel's relationship with Vladimir Putin in Russia is very complicated it's friendly on the outside sometimes it it's certainly not as always friendly on the inside, but Israel would like to see Russia weakened. But while Russia remains as strong as it is, and it's not super strong, let's face it, it's, 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 it's strong in a place like Syria where they're involved, and they play a strong role, sadly, with Iran and other things like that. As long as they have a, this presence in the Middle East, that's an important one, the Israelis are going to try to deal with them in a way that's favorable to Israel. But if, if Russia becomes weaker, that's good for Israel, too. And so Israel would like to challenge them on that. And there's another way to do that besides missile defense, and that is natural gas. Russia's power over the region, not only of Eastern Europe, but a great deal of Western Europe, Germany especially, is connected to Russia's oil that they supply. And Germany, I think you've heard me say this before on the Nachum Siegel Network, on the Novak Now, about how Germany has made this ruinous choice under Angela Merkel to really, really ramp down their fossil fuel industry in favor of all these alternative fuels, which is very, very nice. And I think it's great to have that as one of your options if you're a country trying to power your nation. But they put themselves into a situation where they, because none of these alternative fuels are really ready to power a, a, a nation on their own. A cer- certainly not a large industrial power like Germany. So now Germany is even more reliant on Russian heat, especially heating oil. And this is very problematic, because as long as Russia has a military presence and holds some economic power, which they have with the oil, these countries, Poland and Hungary and Czechoslovakia, what, what chance do they have to, to remain independent when even Germany can't survive without the Russian oil. So Israel, with its growing natural gas reserves and the many deals Israel's already made to deliver natural gas to other countries, not just their neighboring countries, but they made a big deal with Spain, for example, Israel would like to provide that to Eastern Europe as well. I mean, two major, major parts, if not, the, if not the only two, the two major parts, the two major columns that hold up Russia's power in the world are their military power, and their oil reserves, and the fact that they deliver oil to so many countries, especially in Europe. And the Israelis offer to countries that want to get out from under those columns, get out from under that thumb, really offer alternatives to both. With the missile defense and some of the other military technology Israel can offer, that helps reduce Russia's military sovereignty, military power over them. And with the natural gas that Israel can and I believe will start delivering all over the world really soon, that also reduces the other aspect of Russia's power, which is the oil. So these are things that have been going on for a little while, and they are very much part of Benjamin Netanyahu, the Prime Minister of Israel's agenda in hoping to expand Israel's influence and importance and economic viability throughout the world. And this started way before this current... Polish government took office and way before this Polish campaign started with the Holocaust revisionist history. Has anyone yet co- connected the dots yet? Because I'm going to connect the dots for you in a second. So let's review. There's a government in Poland, an existing government in Poland that is increasing ties not only with the Jewish community but certainly with the state of Israel. The two biggest reasons being they want to get out from under, well, the biggest reason being they want to get out from under the two biggest things that keep Russia in an inordinate powerful position in Europe, especially Eastern Europe. And that is defense and and fossil fuels, in this case, Russia's oil deliveries, and in this case, Israel's offer to replace that with natural gas. Suddenly, a new party starts coming into the running in Poland that decides to make a big issue out of Holocaust revisionist history. Hmm. Now, I'm sorry if I sound like a conspiracy theorist here, but with all due respect, for those of you who know me, I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I don't deal in that kind of nonsense. But this one here isn't really a conspiracy theory. This is really just on its face, makes a lot of sense. It's understandable what's going on here. And as I'm going to discuss in the next few minutes, we have a history of this to work with. Look, I'm sure you've already jumped. You know, gone to the conclusion here. I don't believe that it's a coincidence that just as Poland and Israel are starting to become closer and closer, culturally and politically and militarily and economically, all of a sudden you have a political party that decides to make Holocaust revisionist history one of its main and certainly its most recognizable platforms. Russia was threatened and suddenly a party comes up with an issue that has the potential and continues to have the potential to break up one of the biggest challenges to Russia's power over a country like Poland. So yes, I'm going to say this explicitly now instead of just dropping hints. I believe Russia is all over this attempt to push Holocaust revisionist history. Do they really believe it themselves in Moscow? I don't know, and I don't care. I believe that Russia, when you take a look at the production values and the quality and the kind of MO that you see in some of the online ads that, that that Polish party used to promote this Holocaust revisionist history, it just looks like a Russian production. It is in all shapes and forms, Russian style. And it's Russia. When you ask, you know, quo bono, who benefits from a breaking up of Poland and Israel more than Russia? And the answer is no one. And what's the best way to break up a Polish-Israel relationship? And that is to try to use the Holocaust to drive a wedge between them. And to some degree, this Russian, which I believe Russian attempt to do so has been successful. The Israeli people, understandably, are furious with the Poles. And the Poles, not so understandably, but predictably, are angry too, because they feel that they're being accused again of the sins of their ancestors. They're sick of it. They want to move on. Of course, we never want people to move on and just forget about the Holocaust. I'm never going to accept that. But you can understand a people that thinks that, you know, there's an, you know another country has an obsession with this. This is what I call low-hanging fruit to kind of break up a, a relationship, and Russia benefits from this in any degree that they can get Poland and Israel to be more separate. Now, to his credit, Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu personally hasn't really taken the bait for this. He's made a comment or two, there have been members of his government and people in Israel who have made even nastier comments, all along the lines of saying what I have said at the top of the program is, we can't accept Holocaust revisionist history. I'm willing to say, look, there was some bad times between Poles and the Jews, we know that, But we have a more important job to do now, which is one, to increase Israel's power and influence and economic vitality, to keep keep Israel alive and keep it protected and keep its economic vitality moving. All those things are more important right now, not more important than Holocaust revisionism. We're not going to go that far, but we're willing to move ahead and do this. But to ask Israel and to ask the people of Israel and ask the survivors and the children and grandchildren of survivors to pretend that a huge part of Holocaust history isn't true is is just a bridge too far. It's a bridge too far. And the Russians know that. The Russians know that. But let me tell you the biggest reason why I suspect the Russians are behind this. The biggest reason I suspect the Russians are behind, are behind this is because in my lifetime and in, in the lifetime of just about everyone listening to this program now, we've seen a similar Russian operation executed, and it worked very well. It worked very well, at least as far as getting a certain case out and, 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 and prosecuted. And here's where I'm in that land, that land field that minefield, because I know a lot of people are going to be upset by this. But I ask you to hear me out because this is something that I've studied for a long time and has been an important project for me for a long time. But the case in my lifetime where Russia pulled a Holocaust-connected, in this case, very well-connected Holocaust issue to try to drive a wedge between one of their Eastern European neighbors in Israel and one of their Eastern European neighbors and all whole Jewish community, and it worked very well for many years, was... And I'm using this word very advisedly. Was the framing of John Demjanuk, so-called Ivan the Terrible, in starting in the late 1970s and then moving all the way through into the early 1990s? Now I'm going to put my cards on the table right here, right now, here on Novak. Now, and again, I know this will upset many people. Was John Demjanuk an anti-Semite? Probably. Was he a supporter, at least in mind, and, and maybe in some ways in body, to the Nazi, the Nazis? Maybe. But was he the infamous concentration camp guard, Ivan the Terrible? No, he was not. So how did he get accused of being that? How did he get in trial? How did he end up spending some time in jail in Israel before the Israelis released him? How did that happen? The answer can be found in a book I've already put up on my Twitter feed, and I hope many of you at least take a look at it by a very right-wing nationalist Israeli by the name of Yoram Sheftel. He is an attorney. He is not a lefty. He is not a Meretznik. He is not a Shalom Achshav, Peace Now guy. He is a very right-wing nationalist Israeli named Yoram Sheftel. He still, to this day, defends Chayaleh Sahal, you know, Israeli troops who are accused of certain war crimes, and sometimes he's quite successful at it. This is not an anti-Israel, anti-Semitic Holocaust revisionist person whatsoever, and he wrote one of the most convincing books I've ever read in my whole life called Defending Ivan the Terrible, came out in 1996, explaining how John Demyanuk was framed by the Russians and got all the way through getting tried and convicted in Israel before finally the evidence of his innocence was so strong the Israelis had to release him, although we should make a point that the still somewhat corrupt Israeli justice system, which it is sometimes corrupt, never admitted he was innocent. They just said, oh, there's a technicality, we have to release him. And for those of us who still want to believe that John Demyanuk was guilty, we need to ask ourselves, would the Israelis, even if there was halfway decent evidence that he was guilty of being the, the brutal t- t- concentration camp guard, Ivan the Terrible, released him for any reason? Of course not. But they just didn't have the guts. They wanted to save face. They didn't have the guts to say the guy was innocent. I'm not going to summarize the whole book for you, but let me just say that Sheftel lays out a very convincing and well-evidenced case of how the Russians framed him, And the reason why they framed him is because right after, in the 1970s, in 1975, there was something called the Helsinki Accords. And what the Helsinki Accords did was basically put a lot of pressure on the USSR to improve their human rights record. For those of us who remember all the Soviet Jews who came to the United States in 79, and I think a little bit in 1978, that was a direct result of those accords. Well, those, of course, freaked the Russians out, for the Soviets out for many reasons, not the least of which they didn't like seeing Ukrainians who also got a lot of some, some human rights, brief human rights uh, relief from the Helsinki Accords and Jews working together. And they decided they needed to drive a wedge between them. And they felt that accusing a Ukrainian-born guy of being Ivan the Terrible, someone who was living in the United States at the time, would be the perfect way to do it, and to some degree it was quite successful. Anyway, please read the book, Defending Ivan the Terrible by Yoram Sheftel. And when I saw this campaign going on in Poland, starting a couple of years ago and still going strong now, of revisionist history about the Holocaust, it rang every alarm bell in my mind because I've been following the Demianuk thing for many years. I was even in Israel when the trial was going on. And by the way, they literally moved his trial from a courthouse to a theater. I mean, the, the, the definition of a show trial. <laughs> I mean, it was really a disgrace in many, many ways. Was I crying for John Dimjianic personally? No, I don't think he was a very good guy, but he was not Ivan the Terrible. And every time that we convict people, and thankfully I don't think it's ever happened in other cases, of being war, Nazi war criminals when they're really not, of course we, we diminish the real justice that we need to mete out to those who supported the real guys, or were the real guys. I hope I don't have to explain that point to you. But anyway, it just rang every alarm bell in my mind, and it is such a similar MO, modus operandi, so similar that I believe very, very strongly that for two reasons. One, Russia benefits greatly if the Polish-Israeli partnership is broken up. So far, it's not completely dead, and I hope that it revives. And Russia's done this kind of stuff before. So under the Soviet Union, the old KGB-type MO, that even though the USSR doesn't exist anymore, Vladimir Putin very much follows. I believe that Russia is very much behind this revisionist Holocaust history campaign, And I would like for the Polish people to stop falling for it, and I would also like for the Israeli people not to say we agree with revisionist history, but to say we don't believe this is for real. We believe that the more important goal right now, in addition to remembering the true history of the Holocaust, but it's also very important for Russia's power to be diminished and for Israel's power and influence to be increased in 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 a good way, for good in the world, I should add, than this nonsense. Again, read the book. Defending Ivan the Tarot by Yoram Sheftel. You'll see the similarities, too. This is Jake Novak. This is Novak Now on the Nachum Siegel Network. I hope to speak to you again next week.